0: Welcome to Healthcare Hacks and Connections Podcast. Here you will learn all things podcasting, acquiring amazing tips and tricks required to transform your podcast into an essential tool to grow your business. On this show, we will bring in expert guests from across the healthcare spectrum. They will share their personal stories, discuss their struggles, and give real examples of how a podcast helped to grow their business. Now let's head into this week's episode. All right, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. So today we have someone that you know I've been looking up to in the space of business for a while. I first discovered this person by discovering their uh, free PR book. If you if you uh, it would uh, would even even understand that, but um, this man is an author of six books. He is a top rated international speaker, having spoken on all 7 continents. He's the founder of CEO, COO Alliance, the world's leading network for Seconds in Command. He's also the host of Second in Command, the chief behind The Chief podcast, which we're going to talk about today, where he interviewed COOs, not CEOs, <laughs> and other seconds to share their insights with his listeners. But I just want to welcome Cameron Harold to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today.
0: Thank you for coming on, Cameron. You know, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, I'm, I mean, you can probably maybe even hear to my voice a little bit. I might be a little nervous because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm kind of fangirling a little bit. But um, for listeners that don't know you, Cameron, can you just give a brief introduction? Just not from what I just said about yourself.
1: Yeah, I was I was kind of groomed to be an entrepreneur and have worked with entrepreneurs pretty much my whole life. I had my first real company when I was 20 years old. I had 12 full-time employees working for me for three years while I was in university. I got that up to 16 employees when I was in third year or fourth year university. After I finished that business off, I started working at the head office of, um, it was called College Pro Painters, and I was in charge of recruiting, training, and coaching franchisees and over four years, I did that with 120 entrepreneurs. So I'd coached 120 real businesses by 1993. And that was really when coaching, business coaching actually started. Coach You and the International Federation of Coaches both started in that same year. And I was finishing up, rep, you know, coaching 120 people. Left there and I was a partner in a chain of collision repair shops did that for a bunch of years. It's now called Gerber Auto Collision in the US. It's called Boyd Auto Body in Canada. It's about a $2 billion largest collision repair chain in the world. The house painting business became the largest house painting company in the world. And then I was the president of a private currency company. We built that up and took that company public, but the the public markets crashed around us right as we were selling the company. So we lost the $64 million company, took it down to 3 million in about six weeks. That wasn't a whole fun ride. And then I just joined my best friend who was building up a garbage company, and it was called 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I joined him as his 14th employee. When I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We were operating in 330 cities, four countries, and I'd been the COO for that entire journey. So I kind of started to, again, build these companies and got known for it. But that was 16 years ago. So I left there 16 years ago, and I started working behind the scenes, coaching real businesses, typically 50 to 500 employees. And I've done that with companies in about 20 plus countries. As you mentioned, I've written six books, and um, yeah, that's kind of where where we go. I know your your audience is the healthcare space. I worked behind the scenes coaching a number of businesses that are in businesses, sorry, that are in the healthcare space. Uh, uh, probably three or four chains of dental locations a couple of chains of medical locations one big massage business with about 100 locations so i've worked behind the scenes with those kinds of practitioners as well also a physical therapy company in australia so i understand the the needs of some of these practitioners and some of their struggles of of kind of becoming business people where they're not really trained as business people you know when they're in school
0: exactly and that, that's that's a big thing is that they're not trained to be business people they they don't know sales they don't know marketing really and, it, and i think it's it's a big failure of this school system you know going through these these uh rigorous courses and everything but then it's like you know the book but it's like how can you even sell that if you if you you don't even know how to sell
1: yeah, it's a shame, really. And I mean, I as a business person, and, and having run a business my whole life, I was always kind of dumbfounded when I would go to my doctor's office or dental office or, you know, massage wherever I was going and just kind of going, I don't get it. How can they be so smart? And their, their business is in not in shambles, but it was so obvious the things that they could do better at. And then, you know, the, the flip side of that is you get all these business people that go through school to learn how to be business people, but they're not necessarily teaching you to be entrepreneurs. Often entrepreneurship is learned with that school of hard knocks or reading books or listening to podcasts or joining mastermind communities. So often it's good when when you get groups of maybe health practitioners together to learn from each other, but it's also good when they can learn from businesses that aren't in the health space as well, right? You take ideas from restaurants and auto body and You know digital companies and marketing companies and you pull all those together and that helps you grow your medical practice
0: yeah and i think that's a big lesson like even for people that are listening right now like i know we talk about healthcare a lot and i do bring on people that don't talk about healthcare but i encourage you to go listen to other podcasts not around healthcare because you might find the answer that you're looking for Mm-hmm. From those people, because you can relate them finding clients, maybe to patients, you, the, you know, the issues that are happening within the business to um, like lead generation, anything like that.
1: You know, what's interesting around that as well is you can often learn from people that don't even understand the healthcare space. Yeah. So I used to coach two people that are pretty big in the biohacking space. One is Dave Asprey from Bulletproof Coffee. I was his coach for oh, a year. Oh, okay. I, I was teaching Dave how to grow bulletproof coffee and also how to hire his second command and reorg his team and then I also coached um, Ben Greenfield COO, um Angelo who and they built Keon and and I don't know anything about the biohacking space I don't know anything about the, the nutrition space I also coached four companies that run um, nutritional supplements companies you know mm-hmm. the one that's a 50 million dollar supplements business so you don't have to get advice from people that are inside of the medical system you can get advice from outside and and pull that in because you know your practice you know your practice area yeah that's not what you're looking for in terms of coaching quite often
0: yeah i agree okay so i mentioned your podcast you know Mm -hmm. why did you start that podcast and then this was kind of me like like when i was reading your book your, your new book that you just came out with the second in command unleash the power of your of your coo i was noticing i'm like okay when you wrote the when you wrote this book, and then we also created the podcast, did you create the podcast knowing that you were going to write this book?
1: Uh, no, not at all. I, I created the podcast about 4 years ago. And it was a way for me just to get some of the stories of our COO Alliance members shared. It was also a way for me to deepen my understanding of the COO because I was building out this community and this mastermind group for seconds in commands. So the COO Alliance We have members from 17 countries who join us online every month for a three-hour event. And then they come in person twice a year to these events. And all of them are real companies. They're all doing minimum 5 million in revenue. Most are about 40 million. So the Second Command podcast gave me an opportunity to talk to now 245 COOs to understand their side of the business. And I also wanted to share their side of the business, right? When I was the second command for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, if you heard Brian, the CEO, get interviewed by the media, his story would be very true. But I had another story that was equally as true. It was almost like asking a mom and dad, how did you raise your kids? Well, mom would have a true story. Dad would have a true story. They're both true, but they're from a different lens. So that was the purpose for doing it. It wasn't, to, um, it wasn't for any other reason. Why I was doing it, about three years in, you know, I'd now been running the COO Alliance for five years. I'd interviewed about 180 seconds in commands. I realized I had a lot of content that people wanted to understand. And I was getting bombarded on a daily basis. I've already had three requests today. Hey, I have this problem with my COO, or I'm looking to hire a COO, or can you help me build? I'm like, I can't handle all of your questions. So here it is, here's here's the book, here's the CO Alliance, here's the podcast. So it, it just all fit together quite naturally.
0: I love that you said like you you worded it that way because a lot of people always ask me like well why should I start a podcast and honestly I tell them like literally just make it an FAQ like of frequently asked questions in your DMs because you don't want to keep answering that thing over and over and over again and if anything you can give it to them as a resource like here like here's this curated like five episodes that I created just on so more related maybe the front desk issues you know right
1: yeah. And that, that was something that Brian and I even identified back in our days building 1-800-GOT-JUNK was we were, you know, we ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. We, you mentioned the PR. We'd landed 5,200 stories about our company in six years, including being on Oprah. And we got to a point where we just did not have time to answer everybody's questions. So it, this was an easier way to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I love that. And
1: that's even, by the way, that's even why I titled the book, The Second in Command. This is the the book cover. There's two parts of it. The first, the logo is the yin and yang. And that's really about the yin and yang partnership between the CEO and their second in command. And the reason I called it the second in command and not the COO is your second in command might be a project manager. Your second in command might be an operations manager or a GM or a VP of operations or an EVP or a president or a COO. It's really who is the de facto kind of second in command to you that is helping you run the business, free up your time, you know, that kind of side.
0: So now talking about the book, why did you even want to? uh, Well, that's why you wrote it. So, what was your experience actually writing this book?
1: Well, I've written five books before, so I understood the process of writing books. This is one that I probably worked harder on than any other book since the very beginning. Partially because I understood the process and understood the, the reason for writing it. I decided to... So so here was my process. I first sat down and I did a table of contents of what I was roughly going to cover in the book, Right. How to find what's a COO, how to find one, how to bring them into your company, how to build a relationship, when to get rid of them, right? You know, roughly that. And I kind of came up with about 10 chapters. And then I thought for every chapter, what are the rough things I would talk about in each chapter? So in chapter one, how do you define it? The who, what, when, where, why, the pricing, you know, you just kind of what are the rough ideas? And once I had a bunch of rough bullet points for every chapter, I then literally walked around with a recorder and just talked. Now, I also worked with a publishing company that helped me with this as well. And they would ask me questions about the content or about my little sub points. And I would just continue to riff off the top of my head. And all of that content got transcribed. And then we edited that content and typed it up. And then we got feedback from from entrepreneurs. And that was that began kind of the iterative process.
0: You know, and I think it reads so well. Like, it's not like just long business book that you're like, "Oh my god, this jargon of like uh, MBA talk." And it's like, you know, a lot of business owners now that are entrepreneurs they don't have MBAs or anything like that, so they don't know all the nuances. But I love that you break things down, like. And I had to write it that way because I was
1: not the smart person in school. So all of my friends were the ones that were doing great in science and math. They were all the straight A students. I was the solid C. I was getting 65% on every test and every exam, but it was also, I was running businesses and I was on the ski team and I was just too scattered to do it. So I have had to learn how to simplify everything for me. So Mm -hmm. the only way I can teach franchisees and teach businesses is to simplify it for them as well. If I, a business owner, this concept that requires an MBA to understand it, they're never going to use it. So I, that's the way I deliver my content is the same way is something that's kind of very snackable, very easy to understand and it scales, right? The content has to be good and tested and it scales I also was able to pull a lot of ideas from a lot of our COO Alliance members and I quote them in the book. Yeah. And I also have a lot of content from a bunch of guests from the Second Command podcast and I quote them in the book as well. So I took a lot of these experts ideas and wove those into the appropriate sections of the book as well, which I think made it for a very rich you know, experience in reading.
0: It really did because it had me from beginning to end and you know, like... Like, so I'll explain my kind of situation is like my my COO is my wife right now. <laughs> and in one of the, the one of the chapters you even described, like that's how finding your COO should be. It should be like someone that you're going to be like a life partner with.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, it is often a lot of similarities between a, a husband and wife or a partnership and a CEO and a COO, right? You have to trust each other. You have to like each other. You have to respect each other. You have to know what each other's skills are and what you bring to the relationship. Um, You know, with my wife, I love cooking. She hates cooking. She likes organizing and planning. So all of a sudden, food shows up at the door and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm making this this week. And I'm quite happy with making whatever that is this week. She's great at at kind of anyway. So we understand our strengths and our weaknesses in that relationship. And then you also need time to have date night, right? To get away from the day-to-day, to get away from the kids, to have fun together so that you get to like each other and continue to like each other, right? Otherwise it just gets kind of boring.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And, and to constantly date, I think is, is what, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe four months in now, Mm. you know, but I've learned that from people like even bringing them on the podcast, asking and those topics come up and they're like, you know, just constantly date and just. Be infatuated with each other, don't fall out of that love and and just always come from growth, a mindset.
1: Yeah. And those are really powerful lessons to bring into your relationship with your second in command or really with any of your key employees, right? Often we we do a lot of work interviewing and hiring people to come and work for us. And then two months later we forget who they are. You know, you should almost reread their resume six months later. To rediscover that person that now you know them, but now you get to remember, oh, those are some of their skills. You know, go back and look at some of your interview notes six months later to remember all of the stuff that you've forgotten about them, to understand who they are. And then also get out of the office and have fun together and hang out together to really understand. And it just builds that commonality and the trust. And then you also remember that everybody's struggling, right? At the end of the day, all of us are struggling with some part of the human condition. You know, we're all just walking each other home.
0: Yeah, I agree on that, especially the taking someone out to get to know them. So on that topic, a lot of the businesses right now are virtual now. So Mm -hmm. how do you... How would you find a way to do that virtually? Do you have like a virtual happy hour or...
1: Yeah, you you get together on Zoom, you organize games online, you can get a company called Jam, um, Work Play Jam, and they actually run social events online for, for you and your employees. You just open up Zoom and sit together and do work and then be able to chat during the day, right? A lot of the similar stuff that you might do in person, it's certainly harder to do it when you're not there. But And then some of it's just slowing down your meeting rhythms as well to connect and hang out and chat with each other and not have to dive right into business. You know, using a Slack channel. Uh, yeah. I also I also will quite often hop on a quick video call with my team, even for five minutes to discuss something instead of going back and forth over email. And just that quick video is kind of like hey grabbing them at the water cooler and
0: shouting gotcha Uh, yeah i love slack i love using that even my team like we're we're like okay you know we're trying to get each other motivated uh to do physical activity you know because of course we're, we're always at home so it's like slack is is a very way to keep people accountable and then also share like experiences so like we just went to um Universal Studios in, in California, and they just launched, uh, what was at Mario world. And, and so right. I took pictures. I was there, you know, and then, and, and sent it to my team and, you know, they can check it out.
1: That's fun. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that you have to be able to do to build a good company culture, because at the end of the day, this is only what our employees are doing to make money. This is not their be all and the end all. It is not their everything. Right. Yeah. so what we have to do is remember that and then try to use that as a way to connect with them and stay connected with them
0: yep okay so this is actually a, a question from my wife <laughs> so what is a daily life of a coo
1: wow a daily life of a coo what well, really should start with really the focus being to grow our people okay right not to hold them accountable not to manage them not to do work but to grow our direct reports skills and to grow our direct reports, confidence, Mm -hmm. right? To help them remove obstacles. We're there to be more of the servant leader, to assist them, to grow them, to help them, to cheer them on. It's also to stay connected with the CEO, to stay understanding what the CEO's vision is, to stay connected with the culture and the core values. It's also to really focus on praising people because we're often so drive, drive, drive that we often forget, right? To stay praised. And then another strange role for the COO is to be the brakes to the the gas of the entrepreneur. right? The entrepreneur is like the dragon. The COO needs to be the leash. And they have to play that role with with a little bit of of humor, a little bit of humility, and a little bit of, I guess, introspection just to be able to keep those relationships strong. They're also, you know, Gino Wickman in his book, Traction, says that the COO or the integrator is the tiebreaker. I kind of disagree that they're not really the tiebreaker. So much as they're supposed to facilitate good discussion and good debate amongst the team, so that the team can come to some consensus. You know, we're supposed to grow them so the team can work together. Versus, well, you three are saying this, and you three disagree, so I vote this. That doesn't scale, right? So I think that's the a core role for the COO as well is to be the person who can raise the debate and raise the discussion and get everybody to to see each other's side, and then get the team to make the right decision.
0: So it's the team making the decision, not the one person be like, nope, my, my ruling, this is what it is.
1: Correct. Exactly right.
0: Got it. So in your book, you also say that the COO should have direct contact with the customer. Mm-hmm. So you know, go, how are they able to do that if you know, they are like going through all these things th- throughout the day?
1: Well, one is to just set time in your calendar to, as you know, Michael Dell used to call it, read the tea leaves, right? So you can actually listen in on calls, you can mm-hmm. reach out to customers. Maybe you decide that you're gonna reach out and talk to, you know, three customers a week and you're gonna do phone calls with them or 10 customers a month, or you're gonna go and ride shotgun and, and drive to customers' sites and visit them. Okay. Or maybe you'll go to conferences and industry events and just hang out with them. There's lots of different ways but you have to be cognizant that our role is often to use our two ears and our one mouth in the ratio that god gave them right listen twice as often as we speak and if we're going out to meet with customers it's to actually ask questions and listen to truly understand them and that can bring some really powerful results back to the company
0: so relating that back to patients how can we do that
1: oh I'll give you one of the age-old things that patients are frustrated with. What are so many patients frustrated with in terms of doctors' offices or medical offices? Uh, scheduling. Right. We're constantly frustrated that we're told to be there for a ten o'clock appointment, and then we sit in their waiting room waiting for them to be ready at ten twenty-five. Well, I have a life too. I've got kids. I've got business. I've got hobbies. I've got a spouse, and I don't think it's fair that doctors or dentists or whatever, don't give a shit about the schedule. And I think it's a, I think it goes back to your core values, right? What are the core values of you and your office? And how can you deliver on those? Yeah. So, you know, maybe you tell people, come for a 10 o'clock appointment, your schedule, you'll be somewhere between 9.55 and 10.20. But if you give them the expectation they might be waiting for 20 minutes, then at least we know that's okay. But if you tell me to be there for not like a 10 o'clock appointment, to be there at 945 to do paperwork, and I show up at 945 and I do my paperwork and then I sit till 10 15, what the fuck was I there for? Yeah. And I think that's something that that when the doctors become less of the doctor and more of the business, they start to, to connect with that. I started coaching a lot of doctors and dentists over the last five or 10 years and tell them to stop using the term doctor. Just let us connect with you as Fred or Mary. Right. Mm-hmm. Let us connect with you as another human. Yeah. And my doctor, his name is Dr. Stephen Kurdiak. I haven't called him doctor ever. When I first met him, he said, oh, call me Steven. So I said, hey, Stephen. Well, now I had a human connection with this guy who was always in his golf shirt and pair of jeans. And he looked like a normal guy and talked like a normal guy. And he didn't try to keep him, even though he was way smarter, right? yeah. but he didn't try to use it. I think those titles are something from the 1970s that we have to let go of a little bit and that that will connect you with your customer even more
0: so speaking from experience so i know like physical therapists uh you know they don't like to use it and even my my mentor in the clinic when i was in the clinic he hated people calling he's like no just call me eric like yeah. like you know like like and and it gets them to know like and trust you so then to really be honest like like one dude like one dude literally had shoulder surgery on a Friday, and then uh, like Sunday went. And so you, they have like a nerve block in. And then so he thought that he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm good to go. Like, I go surf, right? Because we're okay. in California. And because we're so like nice and friendly with people, he was able to like really actually tell us what he did. And we're like, Okay, do you never do that again because <laughs> your shoulder was not healed. <laughs> but thank you for being so honest. <laughs> so, yeah. tell us that like yeah i went surfing on sunday because i felt like oh it's good like i don't feel anything well there's nerve blocking, you dude
1: (laughs) that's the human connection that when the physicians or the medical practice owners start to have that connection with their patients or their customers more that's what we resonate more with right yeah i'll give you a very similar you know situation was in 1989 so 34 years ago IBM banned the wearing of a tie by anyone at IBM. No one was allowed to wear a tie. And IBM used to be the big blue. They were the blue suit, white shirt, red tie. Everyone had to wear shirts and ties, going call, doing all their sales calls. So 34 years ago, they said no one can wear a tie anymore because they recognized that you can still be dressed up, but the open neck is more vulnerable and open and trusting. And when people have a tie on, we're always wondering who the real person is behind the tie. Physicians need to do the same thing. And I think we're we're definitely seeing that more when Gen Y are now the physicians versus the baby boomers. But that's something that baby boomers have to understand is the way that the medical practices used to work is changing, right? And there's a little bit of the adapter die.
0: Yeah. And I think just people need to really yeah, adapt or die and then just really speak to like when they're marketing and whatnot of like what it is that they actually do because... I know. One time we had we had a patient that came in, and they literally so were physical ther their physical therapists. They that that's what what their appointment was in the eval. And this person thought like, "Oh, I thought you were just going to rub my foot." And it's like, "No, if you want to go do that, like go see a massage therapist." It's like, yeah, that's not our job, man. <laughs> like, we're gonna put you to work to get your foot better.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting watching the consolidation right now in the medical space, and I think what we're starting to see is that. There we're we're recognizing that it's a very fragmented industry Mm -hmm. where we want to know and trust a brand in addition to just knowing and trusting the person that we might be seeing, right? Mm -hmm. And the brand is starting to speak for all of the employees and the experience at that location, not just the person you might see for three minutes. Cause you might see that the physician for five minutes of your 40 minutes sitting in the in the office, right? Yeah. I think that's something that I'm seeing that's quite interesting as well.
0: And and that's why like some of my clients that have podcasts, you know, for these healthcare practices, I tell them to interview their staff because I want people that are coming into the clinic to be already familiar with these people and familiar with their stories, so then they can resonate. And then when they're having this eval, they are able to be open and not say, you know, kind of a lie or, or you know, like like a like a make up a story for their injury instead of being Boy.
1: honest. Yeah, it's interesting i was speaking to a a dental a dentist and he had i think eight or nine locations and we were talking about some of his staff and he said oh that's just my receptionist and i said no that's your director of first impressions that person sitting at the front door is the first person that every customer sees she's the last person that every customer sees when they leave she's the first person that every employee sees when they show up at the beginning of the day the last person they probably see like She's one of your most important employees because she sets the cultural vibe. She sets the energy for the entire office and the entire appointment. And you need to hire. It's kind of like Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines, right? How do you get all your employees to be so happy? Well, we hire happy people. You need to be able to be very mindful of that, that the people that are at your reception need to be those happy people because that sets the tone for the entire office.
0: I can't say how much of value that is because we've had a, a guest on here called Jerry. His name is Jerry Durham. And that is his whole thing is teaching your front desk how to be successful because if they're not able to triage a call correctly, you could be losing money and not even know it.
1: You totally are. You're you're definitely, you know, again, it's like a restaurant, right?
0: When you go to a restaurant, the
1: experience starts before you get to the front door. It starts in the parking lot. It comes with the signage. It comes with the hostess. It comes as you're being taken to the table, right? It's the entire customer journey and physicians have to again now. And we're learning that, right? Because we're starting to see business people coming into all these different business areas and professionalizing it and going, "Whoa, okay, now, now I see it's different.
0: Yeah, I can even give a real life experience of a customer service that I literally like would out this company or brand forever. Tiffany's. I was going to get my my wife, you know, a bracelet and then I wasn't dressed as like a Tiffany's person I guess, you know, but I mm-hmm. had the money. I, I was going to pay, you know, but I got ignored. The whole time no one no one acknowledged me. And then I finally found like the manager and I told them, hey, you know what? I was ignored the whole time. I was coming in here to buy this certain bracelet. Now I'm not going to go do that. I'm going to go buy somewhere else, take my money somewhere else. And literally, I, I'm like, I don't want, if she ever mentions Tiffany, I'm like, nope, nope. I'm like, pick any other store. We'll go and, anywhere. And that's a
1: very true story of almost every business, right? And that is, that's what, what, what the medical practice owners need to remember is your business isn't about the practice that you're in. So one of my one of my sons, he was 19, started working at a company called, at my old business, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And he was hauling junk. And after about his second or third day back, I said, you know, how did it go? And, and he said, great. And he goes, you know, this isn't about junk removal. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, this whole business is about how we interact with the customer. I'm like, dude, you're 19 and you get it, right? So that's what businesses need. to, And when you understand that, that's when your business explodes. That's when you can have the, you know, the two, six, 20 locations is because you understand it's the connection with the customer. It's the experience they have with your website. It's the experience they have with your booking. um, It's the way that you treat your staff. I have medical practices and dentist offices that are putting a bunch of their employees through my course. I have a course called invest in your leaders and it's how to grow their people So their people are more proficient and are better leaders inside of their business. And none of those skills have anything to do with medical or dental or chiropractic or anything else. It's how to actually run businesses. So that's really what the the keys are, right? Is to to treat your business as that customer experience and the employee experience. That's the other part is to remember that you have to make sure that the employees that work for you are super happy and super engaged every single day. Because if they're not happy, there's no way your customers are going to be happy. And then you're really losing money
0: yeah and then that's burnout like i experienced that during the clinic when we were during uh uh the pandemic you know mm-hmm. we the physician above us was not helping us out at all it just felt like we were silo and we're like this our own entity it's like okay we're fighting for ourselves guys they're they're not going to do anything they're they're clearly not going to do anything because they literally came down one time and then they told cuz I was one of the head aides and they're like Nate you have 30 people under you we need this down to 15 by the end of the week. I'm like holy shit. <laughs> I was like is this even my job description? <laughs> I was like I don't think it is but I you know I, I'll do my best.
1: Yeah, and again what's what's so hard often with with the space that you're in as well is that we hire people who have some of the technical experience. Maybe they're dental hygienists, or maybe they're nurses, or maybe they're you know, you know know assistants or whatever. And then they start getting promoted to these manager roles, but they've never been through manager training. They don't know how to do job interviews. They don't know how to coach people. They don't know how to delegate. They don't know how to, to effectively manage time. Like all of these skills, that's a, a lot of the skills that are in my Invest in Your Leaders course are those skills to give these practitioners the actual business skills to be efficient And so that their employees like them, right? So their direct reports actually will respond better to them.
0: Yeah, I think it's genius that you made that that, uh, that course. And it's just a course, it it doesn't have direct communication with you or anything like
1: that? No, it's me. Yeah, it's 12 modules. And I teach all the 12 modules. It's all Uh self-guided. It's a total of about five hours of content. So it's really easy for your managers and key employees to go through. Um, they have a lifetime access. And at the end of the course, they get a certification badge for their LinkedIn profile as well, which they all like because they can oh. show they're now certified. Yeah. Each, Let's say that one of the modules is um, delegation, right? So it's how to delegate work to other people to mm-hmm. get back what you're looking for. So there's a whole model that I teach on delegation. The module starts with a pretest that everybody will fail they'll, because they'll realize I don't know this stuff. So then there's some videos of me talking about it then there's some written content, and then there's a post-test that they'll write and they'll pass the post-test because they've learned it. That's how each of the 12 modules are set up.
0: Perfect. Okay, so going back to your book, so mm-hmm. you mentioned desired qualities of a COO. So got to read here because this is kind of long here. So you, you mentioned adaptability, time management, drive, likability, honesty, communication, diplomacy, steadiness, entrepreneurism, coaching, and availability. Out of those, what do you feel is like the number one quality that you're looking for?
1: Well, it's, it's really, the, it's probably the adaptability because they need to be able to bob and weave on any given day, right? When you're a COO of a company and scaling a company, you can't be rigid. People change on a daily basis, right? Your direct reports change, the needs of the business change, the economy changes, the market changes, the growth of the company changes, you're hiring someone, someone quits. So it's very much about the adaptability. And then I think secondly, it's the emotional intelligence to just be able to you know, be introspective and look at your contribution to the problem versus blaming a lot of the outside forces because we can look at the systems that are broken, the systems mm-hmm. that are missing And when we fix those and help our employees fix those, everything gets better. But if it's a blame thing where you did wrong, you did this wrong, that doesn't actually help anything. So I think those are probably a couple of the core things that make a good second command.
0: And you mentioned also that, you know, the first 90 days, like, like the person should really even when they're just getting hired as the coo is is really observe and and create hypothesis don't don't immediately take action right away
1: yeah it, it's because when you're co- let's say that you're bringing in a second in command from the outside and even if they're from the industry they've never maybe worked with your people or maybe they've never worked with your software or maybe they've never worked with your client type or they've never worked in your market so it just give themselves time to really understand the people in the business. So what I like to say is in the first 30 days, they should walk around with a notebook and just take notes, sit in on meetings with customers, sit in on meetings with suppliers, sit in on meetings with the employees, sit in on interviews, you know, listen in on phone calls, watch the customers being served and just write down notes of all the things that they think should change. Most of them, they could be right. But don't change anything yet. Just make notes of all the stuff you want to change first. After you've made all the notes in month two, then you can go back and kind of test your hypotheses and you can check in. Okay, well, I think we should fire Kelly. Well, ask a bunch of people about Kelly. Watch Kelly a little bit more. Check in on Kelly's work and you go, oh, you know what? Kelly's actually pretty damn good. Or, yep, I think I was right. We should definitely fire Kelly. But again, don't make any of those actual um. Don't do anything in month two. Just decide all the things that need to get done. Then you'll have a list of projects to do or or actions that need to happen. Put them in the highest order of priority, almost like the um, order of operations in math, right? Have the order of operations of projects. Which are the ones that you should do first? And what I suggest is to do the ones that are easy, the ones that don't require a lot of time or don't require a lot of money, because momentum creates momentum. And if you can put in place a few of the easy projects first, your team will see, oh, we just did those. That was his idea. Those worked. That was simple. They build trust in you. right? And then after in second quarter, you can start doing the bigger kind of hairier projects. You certainly don't want to go in in the first two weeks firing people and putting in new software because you'll literally turn the entire company upside down.
0: And then what, what is like the perfect interview process to, to finding these COOs? Because I, I know you mentioned that you've been brought on uh, onto interviews as a consultant to interview these people. But I've, I think like people feel like they, they need to be the one to do everything uh, if there are the COO.
1: Yeah, the COO's job is not to do things. The COO's job is to be able to grow people so they can do things, right? The COO's job is not to be able to, like, the to-do list is stuff that needs to get done, but not by you. Your your real job is to grow the people. I was talking to somebody one time and they said, well, I can't delegate these projects because no one's good enough to do them. I said, that's great. Delegate the project and grow those people. Mm -hmm. mentor them coach them or find a freelancer that you can outsource them to because again it needs to get done but not by you
0: and i think you you put it perfectly and guys you definitely need to get this book and, and read it and and take action on the steps that cameron says but he tells the ceo ceo not coo but ceo to uh, rate their tasks that they're doing between UA, which is unique ability, they're excellent, competent, and incompetent in. And then that's how you can go find the exact COO that you need.
1: Yeah. One of the things I try to do, and it's called an activity inventory, is pretend that someone followed you around for a month with a video camera, and you write down everything that that person saw you doing. And then I open up a spreadsheet and I write down all the tasks that I do over the course of a month in column A. And I might have 80 different things that I do. I might coach people. I might show up at meetings. I might do media interviews. I might, you know, approve expenses, whatever. So I have a list of 80 things that I do. And then I categorize them in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, C for competent, E for excellent, and U for unique ability. Well, incompetent means I suck at it. Competent means I'm okay at it. Excellent is something I'm really, really good at, but I don't love doing. And then the unique ability is the stuff that I'm really, really good at. And I love doing it. gives me energy. It just fires me up all day. In column C, if I was to have someone just do that one task, that one project all day, all week, all year, what would I pay them as their hourly rate to do that task? And I put an hourly price beside everyone. And then what I try to do is delegate everything except genius. I try to delegate everything off my plate that doesn't give me energy. And I also try to delegate everything off my plate that I'm not good at. And then I try to delegate everything off my plate that's below my effective hourly rate.
0: Yeah, and and I think that was a genius because I even went through it and I'm even like lining up things. Uh, and then I had um, my my wife go through it and to see, you know, what are her unique abilities, and then what are her uh, places that we need to f- kind of fill those gaps in too? Well,
1: and it's interesting. I think physicians are actually, um, I think physicians are actually quite good at doing that because they have all the other people in their office doing. Like they show up for the three minutes, and then the yes. team's running everything else. I think that's probably more of a unique ability for physicians and for dentists than it is mm-hmm. for the average business person.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Cameron, we're towards the end of the podcast. We're definitely gonna. Ha- I don't know if you're open to it, but we definitely would love to have you back on because uh, I definitely we need to dive into some of this PR marketing stuff. Um, but uh, I just want to say thank you for coming on. So my listeners know that we're towards the end of the podcast. So then that means we bust out these things called pod decks, and these are just three random questions that kind of help us dive a little more into you. For sure. So. What's something about yourself or your life that might surprise others to learn?
1: I'm getting a lot better at it. But for years, I was very, very insecure and nervous to go to small groups and meet people like I would be hyperventilating going to a dinner party of 20 people that I didn't know or a cocktail party or a networking event. I hated those. Um, I, even if I'm speaking, I've been paid to speak in 26 countries. I'll often show up at the speaking event and be hyperventilating for the first two hours before I go on stage because I just don't want to talk to anybody. Ah, So that's something for sure.
0: But you did express that, like that is your unique ability, which is speaking on stages and that gives you like your energy. But
1: not the two hours before. Speaking on stage is good, but walking around with everybody who doesn't know me yet and having to have small chat, that makes me very nervous.
0: Gotcha. Okay, next question. What would you regret not doing being or having in your life
1: travel the whole ability to just see the world right we've been to my wife and I've been to 23 countries last year we've been to about 36 countries together already in the five years we've been together and it's just how do we continue to explore the ability to travel COVID was really a bit of a downer because it just felt like we got completely cramped and it just I only get one life and I don't want to have to sit at home for years of it
0: yeah I agree And and I agree with the traveling and and traveling with your wife. That's why I love that I'm able to bring in my wife as a part of the business. So then we're able to travel together, go to conferences and things like that. And well, we I get to enjoy out (laughs) of networking. Yeah, it's great. Okay, what are you most grateful for?
1: Having two great kids that are healthy. Just my boys are 19 and 21, and just very grateful that they're healthy and happy. And you know getting ready to start off in their lives i think is i feel very happy with that
0: perfect well again cameron i just want to thank you for coming on and pouring into my listeners with all the golden nuggets guys you're probably going to want to listen to this a couple times and maybe even what you want to do is read the book yourself and then come back and then you can kind of understand the questions that we were asking about the the book a little further but cameron for the listeners that are resonating with your message and they're like, Hey, I want to work with Cameron or I want to maybe take that course or, or buy your book. Where can they do that?
1: Yeah. The easiest way to work with me is definitely to get your key managers, key employees to go through the Invest in Your Leaders course. It's investinyourleaders.com. And then also take a look if you're doing at least $5 million in revenue, whoever is your second in command, get them to join the COO Alliance and we can really help grow them so they can grow your company as well.
0: All right. Well, for our listeners, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for more episodes. Peace, guys. Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it. For more inspiring conversations like this one, I invite you to join my free Facebook group, Healthcare Hacks and Connections. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, be sure to follow our socials on Instagram, the podcast underscore doc and nate novice on Facebook. Thank you and have a great day.